Listeners, I know we all love to clink clink, but maybe you're looking to clink clink and cut back. You know what I mean? Are you looking to cut back on alcohol this year? Well, recess is a great tool to assist you because recess mocktails are 0% alcohol made with real fruit, only 25 calories or less, sweetened with agave, infused with functional ingredients, and they taste just like your favorite cocktails, just without the alcohol. I love the Recess Paloma because I love the ritual of pouring myself a lovely drink to unwind. I love doing that every night. I think it's essential. Recess Zero Proof Craft Mocktails is my go-to to go chill. So get 15% off Recess Mocktails now at takearecess.com slash clink. And you too can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Clink, clink. Hello, listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers online therapy, which is something I have personally benefited from and believe in. Online therapy is a tool I have used to talk things through with the therapists that are difficult before I handle talking them out with whoever is intimidating me at the moment. Turns out I am easily intimidated, but online therapy has helped me work through it. BetterHelp can help you too, because I know for me, keeping things bottled up has had a negative effect on my life and just weighed me down. When I prioritize letting it out and letting go, I feel freer, lighter, just basically better. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash clink today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash clink. Hi, and welcome to Housewives of True Crime. Welcome. Welcome. I am Tabitha. Give me Dateline, white wine, and I'll pick up your kids in the carpool line. The next day, right? Yeah, the next day. Okay. And I am Gretchen. I like white wine, true crime, and in bed by nine because I have a lot of stuff to do in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) We are housewives of true crime. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Welcome, welcome, Housewives of True Crime. Good morning. Back from vacation. Yeah. Are you happy to be home? I no. am happy to be home. Yes, I need a vacation from vacation. I think you need a vacation from driving. Oh, my God. I did so much damn driving with three kids and a dog in the 500-degree country of the United States of America. It's a situation. So yeah, we- there's another heat wave coming this week, I hear. Oh, it's my God. going to be a blazing. Yeah, it's tricky, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it you, is. Know, you can't leave the dog in the car. You got to go inside, use the back. You know, it's a thing because it's so hot. All across Texas, there are signs on the freeway that say, do not leave your pet or your child in the car. Not even for a second. I know. No. Okay. So listen to this little pickle I got myself into. So I had one of those days. I So I broke up the drive between California and Arizona. I drove halfway to Flagstaff, mm-hmm. home of the sister wives, but I never see them when I'm there. Anywho, 
And then the next day, I drove from Flagstaff to Colorado, which is like a seven-hour drive. Okay. So I get there after seven hours in the car with the children and the dog, unpack the whole car, you know, whatever. Then I have to load everybody back into the car and go to Walmart. Go to Walmart. I have to grocery shop for the whole family that's coming the next day. Spent like, mm-hmm. I don't know, something insane, like $400 or something, right? It was like huge Walmart trip, okay? Right. So come home, unpack everything. Then I still have to make a birthday cake for the husband because that's what kind of rock star wife I am. He has a damn pineapple upside down cake every year. Well, forgot brown sugar. Shit. Go back to the store. Pretty essential, right? So pack everybody up. Go back to the store. It's like nine o'clock at night. Oh, and by the way, I've I've had to run a couple little other errands. Been showing myself all over town. Okay? Okay. Now, I should mention, when I got done with the drive, I changed clothes. Because I was wearing, like, some, like, leggings. And then I decided to put on some, like, cut-off jean shorts to parade myself around Colorado in. Well, my second trip back to Walmart, um, a nice young lady taps me on the shoulder and says, excuse me, ma'am, there is a hole in your, in your shorts. (laughs) She's like, I don't know if you know. Oh God, where is it? But it's a big one. And I was like, oh, I was like, I just, I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, you know what? That kind of makes sense because I am having a hell of a day. Right. <laughs> but I just thought. Are you and, having a hell of a draft also? Is there like, is it listen, drafty in there? So, yeah, it, it was not so drafty. I don't know. <laughs> so I was like, well, shit. I mean, I kind of like pulled my shirt down and I'm like, you know, all these hoochies out there always have their butts hanging out. I'm like, she probably just thinks it's a thing because it's like Colorado, you know, in California, the shit would fly. I mean, I see girls around here with it's like. It's going up their front. It's going up the back. I don't even know if you call that shorts. Like, they're naked. Okay? And she says to me, she's like, at least you have good chonies on. And I must have a (laughs) milky white delicious butt because I didn't have any on. You know, like, I never wear them. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyways, so I didn't sweat it that much. I continued to get my brown sugar, went home, (laughs) took off my shorts, horrified. I mean, it was ripped from my ass to the belt loop. It was completely ripped, wide open. I had to throw him away. Didn't tell my husband because he would be horrified. Oh my god! How did they rip? I I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> you didn't don't even know. notice. I did not and you even didn't have notice. Tony's on. So uh-uh. <laughs> at least I'm well maintained. <laughs> oh my god. That is so bananas. So that is my indecent exposure. I would like to apologize to the town of Pagosa Springs for flashing my business. Oh, it's not intentional. Jesus, Louises, holy moly. Okay, so speaking of somebody else having some real indecent exposure, and we went to Utah instead of Florida, uh-huh. and then we made our way to Scottsdale. The home of the blazing also. So it's like hot. only 116 when we oh, were there. God. 
And so you want to spend your whole day in the pool because yeah. it is the only place you can be. And they have like a little lazy river. So, you know, Gretchen and I are all about river. the lazy rivers. Love it. Pop your ass on one of those round tubes and float around. Yep. This one also has a swim up bar. So you don't even have to get out Ugh. of the lazy river, which also means that people are probably peeing in the pool all the day whole entire for time. sure. Yeah. yeah. And not that I'm okay with that, but I'm more okay with that than I'm kind of okay with it. You know, anything else. Yeah. So we don't even go in the big pool. We just lazy river it. In the big pool, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, across the loudspeaker, everybody get out of the big pool. It needs to be shocked. And I'm like, oh, baby pooped in the pool. Code brown. Code brown. Mm-hmm. Has your baby ever pooped in the pool at like no. one of those places? No. My kid, ha- well... Yeah, but they've never had to call it code brown. Like they pooped in their swim diaper and I've been like, ooh, you know, yes. I mean, it's like okay. coughing in a grocery store now. It's like, you know how it's like, <laughs> right. don't do that. People will think you have COVID when your kid yeah. poops in the pool. You're like, we got to hide it from everyone so that no one knows. So they don't have to shock it and get everybody out of the pool. Dude, exactly. So that's what I'm thinking, because my kids have I mean, they poop in the swim diaper. They swim around. It kind of come like a little teeny tiny it's speck comes out right it it's so disgusting thing. right yes. but yes. it happens yeah that's what i'm thinking no no i see the girl with the biggest longest you know scooper thing and i'm like what is she getting out of that pool so i get out of the lazy river to go check out what's going on over there you little investigator yes gretchen this was man poop and I'm not. Oh God! Like, this is an offensive intro. Is I know it was so <laughs> freaking disgusting. I cannot tell you how big these turds were, but oh. a man. I'm telling you, a man pooped in the pool in his swim shorts and probably just shook it out of his ass. Oh, and that is disgusting. Now, I hope they had cameras or something on that business. Let me tell you how they discovered the poop. It, how? Somebody stepped on it. Ew! The ew! Pool. Ew! Yeah. Make it stop! Make it stop! <laughs> so gross. Is that disgusting? So whoever you are that pooped in the pool in Scottsdale, shame on you. Oh, oh. Disgusting. Disgusting. I want to hear about some so crime bad. now. I need to. I need to change my <laughs> frame of mind. Do you need to take a shower? Yes. <laughs> Except for your shorts would have been perfect for that man. Oh, my God. God. (laughs) Totally. All right. Let's talk crime. Okay. Since we're talking about it being real hot across the United States of America, especially on the West Coast, I am going to talk about some fire. Okay. It's real dry in California and we deal with a lot of wildfires. True story. It's dry, it's warm, and the winds are a-blowing. Mm-hmm. So it makes for a perfect storm. In Southern California especially, we know these certain winds called Santa Anas start blowing in, and we get prepared. They are hot, and they are dry, and they bring fires just about every year. The last major fires in California were due to the Santa Anas. They uh, 
blew over like utility company lines and Southern California Edison was to blame, right? I don't know. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) I know. I don't know. I know it was a utility company and they always try to find a cause of the fire. So sometimes it's like people throwing out their cigarette butts on the side of the road outside their car. It's also started by fireworks and even baby announcements. Remember last year when these people had the big pink cannon? The, yeah, the gender reveal. I think yes. that, that was kind of a good, I mean, that was a horrible thing. But the good thing that came out of that was that it's like, hey, people, we need to scale back the obnoxious gender reveal thing. Okay, so. Scale it back. I'm not going to name names here, but I do have a friend that is going to a gender reveal party. And the couple that's having the baby already knows the gender. So That's not fair. Well, I'm like, their family doesn't give a flying F what they're having. It's only for the mom and the dad. So if they already know, then you're just having a party. So let's just call it a party, not a gender reveal. Yeah. And the fun (laughs) thing of a gender reveal party is to see the parents' reaction to learning what they have. I know. So I think it's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's stupid, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cheater, cheaters. So sorry that I think that, but I just do. But anyways, yeah, that gender reveal party, basically, they had a cannon with pink flames coming out or something, and it set their whole entire neighborhood on fire. Mm -hmm. It was bananas. Mm -hmm. So every year we expect a certain number of fires. However, in the mid-80s and very early 90s, Los Angeles was experiencing more than its usual share of fires brush fires, but also building fires were on the rise. One of the most devastating of these fires happened to be on October 10th, 1984. A massive fire broke out in a hardware store in Pasadena called Ole's Home Center. The store went up in a blaze quickly, and because it's a hardware store, you can only imagine the combustibles in the building. Mm -hmm. Four people were unable to find the exit to the building once the electrical and the lights went out and smoke had filled the building. These four people were two employees, Jimmy Satina, a 17-year-old high school baseball player, Carolyn Krause, a 26-year-old mother of two, a customer, Ada Deal, 50, and her two-year-old grandson, Matthew Troidel. Ada was actually there with her husband, who was in another aisle and was able to escape, but only after he searched for his wife and and grandson. But in the end, he's like, it was, I couldn't even like see anything, you know, so he was just hoping that they were out waiting for him. This fire was really tragic and very dangerous, even for the firefighters. They battled it for hours, but by morning, the store had burned to the ground. When investigators looked into what could have started this blaze, it was deemed an electrical fire. But a Glendale fire investigator who was quite regarded as one of the best investigators named John Orr did not think that was the case. He actually insisted that it could have been arson. More and more flames were popping up all over L.A. area, some brush fires, but many were started in fabric and like drugstores. For instance... One started at the House of Fabrics. 
in an area near the styrofoam and draperies. So you can only imagine how fast that goes up in flames. Oh, yeah. Gosh. The same day, not too far away at a thrifty drugstore, they had a fire that started in the sleeping bag section. And another fabric store and a bunch of pillows. So fires were consistently being set in multiple locations. But thankfully, a lot of them were noticed quickly, like by a customer that's like walking by and sees smoke coming out of the, like a pillow, Yeah, you know? So some of them were just put out real quick by like even thrifty employees. markets? Thrifty's over, right? It's done. I think that Thrifty's is now Rite Aid because when I go to Rite Aid in California, they have the Thrifty ice cream Yeah, that's place. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. But in the 80s and 90s, we would go to Thrifty's for ice cream cones that were 25 cents. Remember? Yeah, I do remember I think, with the like crazy scoopers. But, you know, yeah, I see. Yeah, they scoop them so awesome. Yeah, I see the Thrifty ice cream counter, but I just know that it's going to take an employee like an hour to get over there. I know. <laughs> <You're> so right. <laughs> so I'm like, let's just go to Baskin Robbins, y'all. It's And usually Baskin Robbins is like right next door. Yeah. I mean, I would love some chocolate malted crunch, though. It's the best Is flavor. that what you got at Thrifty's? Yeah, it's the best flavor. I always got the mint chip because the the chips were like shaved in there. Yeah. And not big That's chips. the best. Yeah. So good. Agreed. So each of these fires had a couple of very distinct commonalities. One was the way they were set. The person set in the fire had a way of lighting it in time to escape the scene themselves. They were started with a lit cigarette that was ignited first then three matches below the cigarette, wrapped in a piece of paper, and then held together with a rubber band. Mm. So basically, the guy would start light the cigarette. It would burn down. Burn down. Catch the matches on flame. Catch the paper on flame. Then, boom, you're in a sleeping bag or a styrofoam bin or something, and it wreaks uh, havoc. Okay. The other commonality was that these fires were being set in the linen sections of the stores near draperies, pillows, or anything that would flame up fast and in the middle of the day. And most of these stores are frequented by women and a lot of times women with their children. Number three, multiple fires were set on the same day, not far from each other, but far enough, you know, Some were even set in fields not far from the structures. So firefighters were, you know, called to a field and then a structure fire would happen. So it takes longer to get another fire crew to the structure fire. Dude. Crazy pyro. Crazy pyro. The fire investigator, John Orr, was really good about finding the origin of these fires. He had been to so many lately and really had a knack of figuring it out. John would talk to the local news reporters, write articles in magazines and fire journals, and he had just a lot of knowledge. He also had his own seminars in the fire world. 
I'm back again talking about Rakuten. Rakuten is where it's at. It is the smartest way to shop. Members earn cash back on everything they buy and can maximize savings by stacking cash on top of other deals like store sales and coupons. Rakuten is a shopping platform that partners with over 3,500 stores like Walmart, Urban Outfitters, Expedia, places you already shop for sure. So why not be saving while doing it? How it works is the stores pay a commission for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the commission with its members. You can paid via check or PayPal quarterly. Rakuten has over 17 million members saving and Rakuten members have earned over 4.6 billion in cash back. Membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. Your cash back really adds up. Clink, clink. You have heard me talk about my language learning skills with Rosetta Stone, and I'm telling you, I'm getting really good at it. I learned a little bit of Japanese before we went to Japan last year, and I really love the French language, so I'm learning French at the moment. Bonjour, bonsoir. I'm even getting a little bit of the accent down. Not very good, but I'm I'm getting there. And with Rosetta Stone, it makes it so easy. I download it on my phone. I learn it in the car. It is awesome. You can do it on your desktop, wherever you find it convenient. They are there for you. And they have 25 languages, you guys, that you can use. And right now they are giving a lifetime membership for 50% off. So you can learn as many languages as you want for your entire life, which is amazing. And the best part is, It starts off, you know, with just words and then phrases and then sentences, and then you should be able to have a conversation with somebody that also knows the language, which is, you know, my entire goal. So don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now. Seriously, get started before your summer vacay. Our listeners get 50% off the lifetime membership. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem it today at rosettastone.com forward slash today. In 1987, these same types of fires started happening in the central coast. There were multiple fires set in fabric and drug stores in Fresno, California. I think, didn't we just talk about Fresno recently? Yeah, that prison guard that cut the hole in her pants. Oh, yeah. So she could get it on with the likes of a prisoner while 11 prisoners (sighs) watched. Watched. In Fresno, huh? You know, I have since learned that is kind of a common thread, this hole in the crotch thing. I think maybe they need to check that every day. Like when you check in. Maybe that was what your shorts were for. (laughs) (laughs) Backdoor entrance. No prison visits for me. No, thank At the you. Walmart. No, thank you. <laughs> also, Fresno is where, what's her face, Scott Peterson's girlfriend lived. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So in Fresno, on that same day that these fires were started, there was actually a conference for an arson investigator. So all these arson investigators and fire personnel from all over attended this conference. The very next day, in a neighboring town of Tulare, another drugstore and fabric shop was set ablaze. And then, not, you know, an hour or two later, down in Bakersfield, another fire was set. Bakersfield's like, what, an hour and a half probably from Fresno? 
Yeah. Yeah. They're close. So that's so crazy, though. So there's this big conference going on and this person is like, I'll show you arson investigators. Catch me if you can. Yeah, right. So the fire investigator from Bakersfield, his name was Captain Marvin G. Casey, actually recovered a part of the device that was started in the Bakersfield fire. And it was like a yellow piece of paper wrapped around a cigarette and matches. And on this particular piece of paper was a fingerprint. Mm Mm-hmm which is a huge clue to who could have started these fires. So when Captain Casey also found out that the other fires were set in Fresno and Tulare um, and that the device was similar, he had an inclination that maybe it had something to do with the fire conference, like you said, Gretchen. Mm -hmm. When he brought this up to the chief, because he kind of actually thought it was somebody in the conference, Mm -hmm. somebody that was a firefighter. Yeah, because that happens. Firefighters love to start fires. Oh, that's what he's thinking. And his chief was like, you crazy. Uh -uh. So they ran the fingerprint through the criminal database in California to see if they could get a match, but nothing came up. So Casey then requested a list of all attendees from the convention and wanted to see who lived on the route from you know, Fresno to Bakersfield. And he got a list of 55 total suspects. So he brought that back to the chief and they thought he was bananas. I like it. I mean, I like what I like the thinking. I like the, you know, yeah, it is somebody that lives in that I area. Know he's smart. Yeah. No, this is good. Good. I will good, tell good, you. good. Good. OK. But they were like, how can you even think it's one of our own? You're like. And now we have to, like, go after 55 people. And some of these people are, like, very highly regarded. I don't think so. Well, then they won't mind. Right. But they were like, no way. So yeah. they dropped it. Oh, back damn. in uh, yeah, I know. Back in Los Angeles, fires were still being set by that same pyromaniac. Mm-hmm. But because all these fires were in different jurisdictions, they were not really being connected. And think about it, like a small fire at a thrifty drugstore on aisle 10 and then 19 miles down the road at Joanne's fabric pillow section caught on fire. Like it's not exactly being talked about regularly. Okay. However, in 1989, another arson convention was held in Pacific Grove, California. And wouldn't you know, the fire started breaking out again around this convention. Oh, damn. And that is far up you know, by, I think, like, Monterey. It's right next to Monterey. I love Pacific Grove. Yeah, it's like the poor man's Monterey. Like, when I'm visiting Monterey, that's where we stay because it's cheaper than staying in Monterey. Yeah, Monterey is expensive. So this time, Marvin Casey was even more sure that there was a mole among them. So he compared the attendees from the first convention to the second convention and saw who was driving alone this time. I like it. I was just going to suggest that, Marty. His name, <laughs> <So> right? <laughs> Marvin. But maybe Marvin. Marty. Okay. Okay. Marvy. Marv. What can we call him? He probably would just like to be called anything by us <laughs> at this like point. Called. Yeah. Okay. So now he was down to just 10 people total. <sighs> Bringing this knowledge forward, he was able to get the original fingerprint looked at. 
And they pulled the fingerprints of all those 10 guys, or I don't know if they were guys, but 10 people. Um, There's that fire were ladies. Sure. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. he pulled all the fingerprints because once you're employed, they have to like fingerprint you. And there were no matches. Oh, shoot. So again, Marvin Casey looks a little cuckoo, right? They're like, told you so, Marv. Yeah. Sorry, Marv. So in 1990, there was another fire convention in Fresno again. And guess what? Fire. No fire. No fires this time. No fires. Mm -mm. But down in Glendale, the Santa Ana winds were roaring and the temperatures were high. Glendale is like a suburb right outside of Los Angeles. And it's in the it's also called the Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Another part of the Valley. And it gets in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. So there was a brush fire that was started and it was near homes. And the thing about brush fires near homes is it gets crazy because protecting the structures is like first priority. Um, so when engines raced up the canyon, they saw firefighter investigator John Orr. He was already there determining where the fire had been set and helping out. John actually would usually be at that convention, but this time he sent his assistant in his place. So this fire in North Vertigo, Vertigo? Verdugo, sorry. Verdugo Hillside ended up being devastating. And they called this fire, you might remember it, but maybe not because we were, you know, not that old. It was called the College Hills Fire. No one died, but 66 homes were either totally destroyed or damaged. That's a lot of homes. That's a whole entire neighborhood was totally lost. Yeah. Pets were lost and people lost everything. I mean, there is this one story of this woman who was, I think she was at work and her kids were at home with their babysitter. And just think, like, there's no cell phones at this time. So she's, her daughter calls and is like, mommy, it looks like there's smoke outside. And she's like, oh, everything will be okay, honey. Right? Not knowing. Then she, somebody says, like, there's a big fire and I think it's by your house. So she goes up there. They will not let her in. Her house freaking burnt down. She couldn't find her kids. Oh, God. I mean, dude, bad. And so... Even though everybody got out and everybody was safe, like that's still real scary for however long until you can find your children. You oh know? my god, terrifying! Our friends yeah. from Ventura, there was a big fire a couple years ago. There still have PTSD from when the fire went through. So yeah, I think that you do have PTSD. I remember my uncle's house burnt down in that Ventura fire, and somebody knocked on his door at one in the morning, and yeah. he didn't take anything. Because you don't really think it's going to happen to you until it does. Yeah. So in late 1980, or sorry, in late 1990 to March 1991, there were 19 fires started at local stores. One in particular started at a discount store called People's Department Store off Figueroa. It was frequented by women and children. This fire was massive. And thankfully, everyone got out. So women were separated from their children while they're trying to escape because their kids are in line 
10 looking at toys and they were, you know, getting groceries for their home. So I just couldn't think of anything more scary as being separated from my kid. Well, investigator John Orr actually had been running some errands and saw the smoke coming from the blaze and showed up just in time to help. That same week as Peoples went ablaze, another fire at Mort's surplus store in Burbank went up in flames. This time, John also saw the plume of smoke again after dropping his daughter off from school. More and more flames were set in months to come, usually with multiple stores going up in flames the same day. Los Angeles investigators were given a description by multiple witnesses who thought they knew who did it. They described this guy as white in his mid-30s to late 30s, male with black or very, very dark brown hair and medium build. I mean, that description doesn't really say much to me. Like a medium-built white man with dark brown hair. <laughs> like, yeah, in a city know. like Los Angeles, like, yeah, like there, there, there's a lot. But I do, I do like take stock in people around me, especially when they put off a creepy vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do too. So another massive fire broke out at a yardage company that was well over a million dollars in damage. And this is when the ATF was called in. Mm. The ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Firearms, and Explosives, and they are the federal government. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms tab. What did I say? And explosives. Oh, yes. It is explosives, though, too. I'm sure it is. Alcohol, tobacco, Let's firearms, see. and then it says and explosives. I think that's why, because why would they call it ATF in for a fire? <sighs> yeah, probably. Listen, I, you know, I got beef with them. They're not my favorite branch of government. I know. On account of Waco and Ruby Ridge, but, you know, whatever. And I was just in Waco two mm-hmm. days ago, and I did talk about them with my friend Jessica, but anyhow... They were called in. And this is, hey, when was that? What year did that happen in Waco? Waco was like, I think that was all like 1990. Yeah, um, this is the same exact time, by maybe the way. I, I, maybe the ATF has redeemed themselves and learned, their, and learned their lessons. Well, this is the same time that that happened. So I'm sure that they were happy to be called in because at that time they were on their way out, weren't they, Gretchen? Yeah, well, the same dude that was working for them then just got appointed, you know, head BIC. Whatever you say that term is for dudes, head boss in charge. With Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Great job. So I, I really Picking hope, the winners over I there. really okay. hope that he's learned his lessons. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't know about that, but okay. maybe. Maybe. Great. Hopefully. Um, the task force was formed to find out who was the real pyro. And they called this task force the pillow pyro task force, which I think is kind of funny. That's cute. Because this guy was setting the fires, guy or girl, in the, the pillow department. So they started interviewing Los Angeles fire and surrounding departments. I kind of like that they brought in the ATF because it did actually kind of get everybody to start talking instead of like, Glendale has this and Santa Monica has that and Los Angeles City has this and Los Angeles County has that. You know what I mean? Like, it kind of made everybody talk about everything that was going on. I can appreciate that. 
As long I as they don't too. storm in with guns and start shooting women and children, I'm okay with them doing yes. law enforcement. Yes. And that's what they're there to do. So these yeah. people were doing their job. Yeah. Um. So it seemed, you know, nothing was connecting the dots before the ATF. And one guy in particular that worked for the L.A. fire told the ATF that there were a similar series of fires in the Central Coast with similar device setting mechanisms that were started in like the late 80s. 87, you know. Okay, now, was this device known publicly or just in like fire circles? Like, could there have been like a copycat? So... Only in fire circles until that the College Hills fire, nobody knew there was only a, a fire circle device and hardly anybody actually knew about that device. Only the people that were really investigating it. And since they weren't connecting dots, it wasn't like, okay, you know, the whole California Fire Department knows that this particular device is being set off and like be aware of this person, this mm-hmm. pyromaniac. I will tell you that during the College Hills fire, investigator John Ord did mention publicly things that you would not mention to the public. Um, Too many details. Didn't protect the investigation. He did not at all. Okay. But that was just months before the ATF came in. So I don't think there's definitely not a copycat here. Okay. So this L.A. fire guy who was like, hey, you know, these fires were started up in the Central Coast in, you know, 87 and 89. There was a captain, Captain Marvin Casey from Bakersfield, has a theory and he also has a fingerprint. So the ATF goes immediately to speak to Captain Casey and they want to retest the fingerprint in all the law enforcement personnel. So police, fire, anybody that has been in law enforcement, they have their fingerprints, right? Yeah. Marvin was probably so satisfied. He's like, that's right. That's right. Who's crazy now? They also, since it's been a few years, the technology and advancements of fingerprint analysis has come up. So a couple days later, they got a call and the person that was running the fingerprint was like, hey, you have a really careless investigator. They should be more careful when carrying evidence around because your fingerprint is none other than the most regarded investigator around John Leonard Orr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when Captain Casey found out, he was like, boom. Boom. John was one of those guys on the 10 list Mm -hmm. from 1989. And he was also one of the 55 from 87. And he was also sure that John never touched that piece of paper or even saw the device from the Bakersfield investigation. Boom. But the department was not so sure. John was so highly regarded and thought of the best around and he also taught most of the men what they know so they were like no maybe john left that paper behind when he stopped in bakersfield on his lunch at burger king 
I mean, they were like coming up with some like crazy things of how John could have had his fingerprint. Maybe he actually stopped at the investigation and nobody knew that he was there. You know, he's the Dexter of the fire starters. He understands yes. it. Yeah, he does. Yeah, because so, he knows that takes one to know one. That's true. Mm-hmm. So the feds interview the battalion chief, who was John's direct superior, and he had nothing to note on John. He liked him, but he did say, you know, he writes all these fire journals, but he also writes for pleasure. And he once gave me a couple chapters of his book that he was writing, and it was filth, but um, I think I should bring it up filth like naked ladies dancing in fire what is it well this guy was like a devout christian and the book that john had written was about a firefighter who got sexual pleasure from starting fires oh Uh, i just got skeeved out okay so no one would have thought that John's fictional writings could have anything to do with these crimes. But after having another writer, firefighter, request a copy of John's book, he really wanted to get it published. That was like his thing. Yeah. And this guy had already had a book published. So he was like, oh, yeah, I'll send you it, you know. Yeah. And um, like I said, it was about a firefighter that got sexual pleasure from starting fires in department stores with devices made out of matches, cigarettes, and paper wrapped in a rubber band. Oh, know? shoot. There also was a hardware store that killed four people, including a two-year-old Matthew and his grandmother in the book. So John Orr was a fraud, and his book was called Point of Origin, but that book was not enough evidence to convict him. So the feds started tracking John and John's a pretty smart guy. So he actually found the tracking device like right away on his car. And after he found that tracking device, the fires stopped. And that is until 1991. In 1991 at Warner Brothers Studio, there was a fire on the set of the Waltons. What no one actually knew. He didn't lose his job or like anything. No, they were trying to, like, catch him in the act so that it was, like, done, you know? Yeah. And so the ATF followed him for, like, a long time. They they had that tracking device on. Then they tried this other tracking device. They were following him. They were doing everything he could. they could, but, like, he stopped. He just, he knew they were tracking him. And... His wife actually worked at Warner Brothers, so he had access to Warner Brothers Studio, which no one no one actually knew. Well, the ATF knew about it, but like when this fire started on the set, John was actually called to help with the fire because still no one knew that he was getting tracked for these fires. And so yeah. the fire guy was like, hey, yeah, come here. Well, he's like, I'll meet you here to show you where the fire's at. And John never showed up. The fire captain goes over there and John's already at the fire. He's like, wait, how did you know? How'd you know, you know, mm-hmm. that the fire was here? And, you know, John just has the sixth sense of always knowing where the, st- the fire started. So actually the next day, right after that fire at Warner Brothers that destroyed the set of the Waltons, there were 
many brush fires set in Glendale. And at this point, the task force knew that they couldn't wait any longer to catch John in the act. And so they arrested John Orr. And when they arrested him in his briefcase, they found cigarettes, brown paper bags, matches, rubber bands, binoculars, and tape recorder. Tape recorder? Yeah, I don't know what the tape recorder was for. But binoculars, I'm sure he set these fires, went somewhere where he could watch it. Yeah. So John was insistent that he was innocent. And the writings were completely fiction. And it was just coincidental that these things happened, but it was not about him. John ended up, though, pleading guilty, however, has consistently claimed he is innocent um, and that the pleas were just to get out of the death penalty. However, after John's arrest, the fire stopped. The store fires and brush fires have decreased like 90 percent. Yeah. John's daughter in her early 20s actually testified for her father's defense, but has now turned against him. John is in prison for life without any possibility of parole and Although he wasn't charged for all the fires that he had set, he was charged for the murder of the four at the Ole's. Um, and they finally deemed it arson, like he said in the beginning. He didn't like that they didn't give him credit. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, what a sick in, fuck. Yeah, he's sick. And you know he's up on that hill watching these fires start with his binoculars. Yes, and I think... Helping himself out. It, yes. That's what he was doing. So gross. And his wife, what does she think? Is she with them? Well, no. So I'll get to that <laughs> in a second. John actually had four wives in this time. Oh, yeah. So it is thought that John actually set more than 2,000 fires and caused more than Ooh. hundreds of millions of dollars. So now let me tell you a little bit about John since Eunice asked me. John always wanted to be a police officer. He was in the military. <gasps> then he went to be in LAPD, but he did not pass the psychological exam. Well, isn't that funny? Because there is like quite the rivalry between um, police officers and firefighters. Oh, yeah. Firefighters yeah. always say that police officers are kids that couldn't make the fire department. Yeah, they do. But actually, it was opposite at this time. Interesting. Because he then went to be a security guard where he took his job real serious. He then applied for the L.A. Fire Department where he did not get hired. And then Glendale finally hired him. Mm. He did get in trouble a few times in Glendale for uh, trying to make arrests and being a little more like a... Like when he was a mall cop? No, and as a firefighter. (laughs) And you know what he also did? He also called himself a detective. And he did it on like a news channel and the and the um, police, the police chief called his boss and was like, uh, take it down you a notch. You better slow your roll. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Like you're not a detective. Yeah. You are an investigator for fires, but you are not a detective. Yeah. I mean, I call myself a detective, too. So. Wow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't arrest anyone. No. I No. At Glendale. He was an odd bird, but he was one of those guys that I think he just like wanted a position of power and importance so bad that he tried everything he could to be like 
he's like, oh, you know what, if I do this and people will think that I'm real important. And so when he started figuring out the points of origin of the fire, because he really knew where they were at, the chief was like, the investigator role seems like a really good fit for John. And he liked the power and the recognition. He loved when he got on TV. For like, for instance, in the college fire, the College Hills fire, all he was worried about was all the news cameras. He actually didn't do any investigating. So in a book called Fire Lover by Joseph Wamba, that's where I got a lot of this information. He goes into a lot of detail on John as a person and what may have driven him to be this psychopath. I'm sure it started as a child, something to do with his mother. John also had a very hard time being faithful. And even after his fourth wife, he still was having affairs. Um, So that fourth wife that worked at the Warner Brothers studio, they were on their way out. He already had a girlfriend that he was going to the girlfriend's kid's school functions and the kid was like like, calling him dad. He's like that guy that moves in like way too fast. Yeah. He's dirty John. He is dirty John. He reminds me, he he died. Like, and then when you see his picture, he's like the typical 80s fire guy with like the mustache. Like, um, it is thought that he may have had hatred towards women, and that's why he set the fires at these stores that were frequented by women. Mm-hmm. But whatever the case, he is a psycho arsonist, and it took way too long to catch him. Well, I'm so happy for Marvin, though, that they did catch okay, him. Okay, so Marvin actually was a little worried that when the ATF came in, that they were going to get credit for figuring out who it was when really Marvin's the guy. The problem with that, they should have found the fingerprint in 1989 when they did the fingerprint of the 10 people because John's was in there. But I guess at that time, it was somebody physically looking at the fingerprints next to each other to determine if they were similar. So it was an error. It was a human error that could have been caught, but they just didn't. Damn. Yeah. So, I mean, it could have saved years worth of damage for sure. Shoot. You know, I know. What a bummer. But that book is really good if you're really interested in like the deep, 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 you know, it's like, I don't know, 600 pages or something. Yeah. Well, I'm sure all the new arson investigators and out there are very familiar with this case and what to look for. Well, my friend just got to be the chief of L.A. He just made chief this last week. And so I called him and I was like, do you want to talk about this? I know you know about this. Does he know about it? Yes, he knows about it. I'm sure they I bet you they have like seminars on this guy now. (laughs) He's like, I'm not going on your podcast. The girl is not wearing any underwear. (laughs) He's like, I'm the chief. He's like, I get sworn in on Sunday. What time is this? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, yeah, he's, I'm like, not. he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, no, he'll, no. He'll be talking to legit news organizations, I'm sure. We can still be friends. But hello. Hello. We would we would like some love over here. That's right. You know what I keep oh, thinking of? Oh, okay, what? go ahead. No, go ahead. That I'm getting flashes all this 80s fire talk. That movie Firestarter with Drew Barrymore. Did you ever see that movie? She no. was a oh, 
It was an 80s movie. It terrified me, actually. She's this little girl, and she, like, looks at stuff and starts it on fire. Oh, she's always in those kind of crazy movies. It's one of those. It's like that movie Sleepaway Camp, like one of those movies that, like, um, traumatized me as a child. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think they did take some of this, some of this guy with backdraft, I want to say. There's a few movies that they oh, yeah. take a little bit of his story, but yeah, crazy. Crazy. This was a crazy, different one. I love crazy. it. Yeah. I was trying to go for something else. So guys, we really need your help um, in growing our podcast. So we would love it if right now you text one of your friends and say, hey, I think you would really like our podcast. Think about one person that you think would like us and text them and tell them about us. We would seriously appreciate it if you do that. That will help us grow. Um, and if you want to text five friends, that'd be also awesome. Um, also, I have some shout outs. Oh, thank you for all your suggestions, you guys, too. We still are taking some, so thank you. We got a lot this week, Crutchy. Are you looking into any? I'm still deep in my cult for Patreon. Next bonus crime. Oh, speaking of it's Patreon, be really the Bogwan. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Otter Pops on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yes, Otter I Pops do. are these frozen popsicles that you push up a long plastic sleeve and it seems like in california we call them otter pops but in different parts of the country our patreon followers told us they're not always called otter pops although well, somebody in Texas otter pops it said, says freaking otter pops on the on the box some people call them freeze pops some people call them ice pops some people call them um wait hold on i was like i i <laughs> Everybody told us what they called them. So freezies. In Canada, they call them freezies. See, it's not just an otter pop. They call them all different things. So thank you. Well, I bet their flavors are not as good as the West Coast, Best Coast, Louis Blue, Strawberry Shortcake. No, they're probably the same thing. They just call them something. No, no, no. It's like (laughs) Band-Aid. Like Band-Aids are not Band-Aids. They're something else. Something else. Okay. Learn Kleenex, something new. Our tissues. Apparently, you know, part of the country <laughs> calls soda pop. Yes, up north. Yeah. Okay. Pop. Do you want some pop? Yeah. Sierra Schaefer, thank you for giving us a shout out. You know, Gretchen gave me a really good idea. She told me I can put all these in I can't folder. believe you're admitting this. You're such a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually, con- I can't believe you gave me some technology advice. I gave you, it's more organizational advice. Yeah, I need that. Yeah, she always needs that. Sherry, again, you're so cute. I'm not even going to say your last name, but I think you did tell me how to. Wait, hold on. Maybe you did tell me how to, Sherry. She said it's spelled, or it said fad a dad. Fad a dad. Fad a dad. Pretty I to what never we were <laughs> would have come up with that in a million attempts. I never would have said fat a dad. Yeah, that's what it is. And I, I still am skeptical. 
<laughs> it's okay. That's not it. Okay. No, the, that is it. That's the best one ever is when I called Alana Kuntz a cunt. <laughs> oh, Alana, that was so long ago. That was like one of our first ever. Yeah. You guys and I. Um. Anyways, please. Please, please, if you have not rated us on Apple, we do still need those because it seems like they like that. If you listen on that on Apple, if you want to hear more, listen to us on patreon.com forward slash housewives of true crime. And you can also email us at housewives of true crime at gmail.com. I think that's it for today, Gretchy. Okay. Clink, clink. Clink, clink. <laughs>